It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, welcome to a primetime edition of Hey Horka on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. My name is Darren Pritchett, talk show host in South Bend on Sports Radio 960 WSBT and called Fighting Irish Hockey as well. I'm joined by Hey Horka himself, Tyler Horka, <laughs> the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, and proud fan of the world champion Texas Rangers. So we're going to get one positive into the show <laughs> right off the bat. There it is. You can't see all my Cardinal World Series memorabilia by, you know, by perfect because you don't want to see that. But I haven't hung anything in a while, so I'm happy for you. Hey, I don't have a problem with the Cardinals outside of one of those. I can, you know, (laughs) I'll walk in there and appreciate however many World Series you guys have. Just leave the 2000. If you ever invite me over into your man cave, just take the 2011 one down and uh, we'll have a great time. Yeah, the picture of David Freeze celebrating probably would get thrown out the window. But, all right, so that's our baseball talk for tonight. We are here to talk Notre Dame football. The Fighting Irish lose at Clemson 31-23. to I called it on my radio show a disappointing game, a pull-your-hair-out type game, an unexplicable performance and strategy type of game. Tyler, you had to watch it in person, and I'm just – I'm kind of at a loss for right now, and that's not our job. We're here to analyze football, but so many things about that game felt uncomfortable. And before I throw it to you, I didn't think there would be anything that would beat the frustration of the Louisville game, a game in which Marcus Freeman said the team was not prepared properly. This beats it by a landslide. and. We all know Clemson's better than a four and four football team, but the strategy, the execution, game decisions, a lot that left to be desired from a Notre Dame standpoint. Well, I hate to, I I don't want to say that I saw it coming, but I did see it coming. And I said that on our pregame show on Saturday, I went as far as to, pick Clemson in the magazine that we put out at Blue and Gold Illustrated. And that that's a pick that happens about 10 days in advance. So that was before Notre Dame played Pitt. I think I, I picked Clemson. So that right there tells you that I don't fully trust this version of the Notre Dame fighting Irish. And I sensed, you know, after the, the USC beat down and then the Pitt beat down, I knew that there was going to be another stumbling block coming. And I didn't think it was going to be against Wake Forest. I didn't think it was going to be against Stanford. So if I stuck to my guns and I said Notre Dame's going to pull, like you said, Darren, something like Louisville. And last week, eight days ago when we were on this show, I said it might be a little reminiscent of Duke. And it kind of was more Duke-ish than Louisville-ish to me because Notre Dame didn't turn it over 
a whole bunch of times like they did against Louisville. They turn it over. Obviously, the pick six, you can't have that. Chris Tyree might as well be a, a turnover with the um, the punt, the muffed punt. And then Sam Hartman threw another interception. But it felt dukish to me because Notre Dame had chances to go tie it up, tie it up, tie it up. That's what they had against Duke. They didn't do it. This time you didn't get the miraculous drive at the end. But Clemson gave you opportunities to have that miraculous drive. I know you it would only have been a tie game because you needed the two-point conversion to make it 31 to 31. But Clemson, Phil Moffa, running the rock so well all day, he literally hands you the football with a minute and a half left or just over that. I think it was just a minute and 47 seconds, whatever it was. And Notre Dame did nothing with that. So that's what I saw coming. And, Darren, you kept asking me the question over and over all week last week. Do you feel better about this Notre Dame offense coming out of the pit game? I kept saying no. I, I knew, like, USC's defense is terrible. We've seen that all year. And Notre Dame had a 251 points. It needed five turnovers. That was a game won by the defense and the special teams. And then, then against Pitt, you ran the ball pretty well. Audrick Estime had one of his best games of his career, which, by the way, that's a career that's probably coming to an end in two games. Uh, I wouldn't fault him if he pulled a Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams did the same exact thing, and that was the Fiesta Bowl as in his junior year. He said, I'm not playing in this. We might only have two more games left to see Kyron Williams in a Notre Dame or uh, Audrey Gustave in a Notre Dame fighting Irish uniform. That's besides the point. Yeah, They ran the ball well against Pitt, but I knew it was fool's gold. And that's why I'm not completely flabbergasted. I'm more frustrated because I saw it coming. And the best thing that could have happened was no Notre Dame proving me wrong and playing a really good football game and proving to eight and two and saying, yeah, we're going to go get 10 wins in the regular season, but it didn't happen. And that's where we are. That's where we are with this coaching staff. That's where we are with the regression of Sam Hartman. That's just where Notre Dame football is right now, Darren. It's it's not the team that won 10 games in a row, five straight years, two years removed from that. It, it's not that anymore. And can Marcus Freeman get it back to that? Maybe. Transition periods are weird. He, maybe he can get this thing back on the right track, but right now it's not on the right track. It's, it's too inconsistent. It's too up and down. And I saw that coming. I saw a valley, Death Valley. That's the valley that I saw. They went down there and did not play well enough to win that football game. Despite the fact Clemson tried to give him the game several times. Bizarre game. Not a pretty game. But we have three great questions to get to. And you might say only three. Well, they're multi-layered answers to the question. So we want to get to those. But first, we have to thank one of our great sponsors, Augie's in South Bend, your home for the best, and I mean the best, Notre Dame memorabilia. Yeah, and it wasn't until I was listening to Mike Singer's show with Mike Goolsby other, the other night that I realized that Augie has moved locations or is in the process of moving locations. And that worried me because what is my pitch to you guys every single time I talk about Augie's locker room? It's right across from campus. You can throw a football and hit campus. Luckily, I just Googled that address that's uh, highlighted on the page if you're watching on YouTube. It's not that far away from the old address, so it's still right by campus. And why do you want to go there if you're, if you're going to the Wake Forest game? Well, I'm about to tell you, when you do come for a Notre Dame football game, only one of those left in the 2023 season, you have to make time for Augie's locker room. They have a wide selection of Notre Dame stadium pieces, jerseys, helmets, autographs, and one-of-a-kind Rockney items. You can find exclusive Joe Montana-signed items and famous sculptor Jerry McKenney's replicas of the bronze statues around the stadium. Augie gets new items all the time. If he doesn't have it in his store, he will find it for you. 
Visit Augie at 1811 South Bend Avenue, which go to his website because the new address is on there. They are moving from that location. And see the vintage helmet display dating back to 1890. He's got some amazing items that you want to see. Visit AukiesLockerRoom.com or call 574-277-6363. So, yeah, that's news to me, Darren. Augie moving locations, but not too far away. So it's not, not too big of a deal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, we want to thank everyone for joining us in prime time tonight on this Hey Horka. We'd love for you to subscribe to the Blue and Gold YouTube channel and also like this particular conversation. I just got off the air. I just got home. I'm sorry to take a couple of bites of dinner really quick there. So I do apologize, but I got to fill the tank here. All right. First of three questions. Let's get going with Bradley Quinn. He wants to know, Hey Horka. Is nine and three considered a failure for Notre Dame this season? I answered this at blueandgold.com with a preface of I don't really like to look at absolutes. So I'm going to put my hand up. I predicted nine and three for this football team. So if they do beat Wake Forest and they do beat Stanford, that's technically meeting my expectations. Now, expectations can be altered. There was a point this season where I thought, this team might go 11 and one. And, and that was pre Ohio state, even post Ohio state with as well as they played. Look, I just watched the college football playoff committee rankings reveal for the second week in a row. Ohio state is their number one team. So if you lose to that number one team by three points, you should have beat that number one team. If you had 10 people on the field, or if you made a couple plays earlier in that game, that's when I was thinking, Notre Dame could run the table. Like Ohio State's better than USC. Ohio State's better than Clemson. Why not run the table? Then Louisville happened, and I said, oh, boy, this could go back to 9-3 and three again. So expectations go like this. They go in waves. But all things considered, for the perception of the program, Darren, to only have a one-game improvement. Marcus Freeman went 8-4 and four in his first year as the head coach of this program in 2022. To only go nine and three in 2023, I don't know if I'm going to go as far as to say it's a failure, but it sure as heck is disappointing. I don't know where you stand on that. I don't know if failure is the right word. I don't know if I'm comfortable in saying it's a failure. But the way I looked at this question when you sent it to me is this as we sit here today, doing this live on November 7th, I feel like this football team has regressed from where it was in December of 2021 when Brian Kelly left for LSU. At times, offensively, I feel like it is dysfunctional. It is not consistent from game to game. We have no idea what type of performance, let alone the strategy or execution we're going to get on the offensive side of the football. I'll stand by my previous comments that defensively, I think they're playoff caliber. 
they did not play their best in the first half, but Tyler, they gave the offense every chance to get back in the football game in the second half. They shut the door. And it's amazing when you keep your two starting corners on the field and not rest them. But I, I really feel like failure is not the right word, but I feel like as we sit here today, this football program is further away from their ultimate goal where they were in December of 2021. Yeah, and that was, like you said, we're only answering three questions, but we're going to – here's a spinoff of another question that I received for Hey Horka. You can read all of them at blueandgold.com, by the way. I, I put all of the answers in an article, put them up there. It's behind the paywall, so subscribe. It'll be the best thing that you do as a Notre Dame football fan. Anyway, one of the last questions that I got was, do you feel Notre Dame has stood pat under Marcus Freeman coming from Brian Kelly, improved or regressed? I think the only answer there, and I wrote as much at blueandgold.com, is regressed. Brian Kelly left Marcus Freeman, and the schedule was a lot easier, an 11-1 and football team. And what has Marcus Freeman done since? I think his record is 16-8. Is and eight. He's losing one of every three football games that he coaches at the University of Notre Dame. Brian Kelly did not do that, especially in those last five years. I mean, it wasn't even close to that. What is Brian Kelly's winning percentage in those last five years? I mean, it's got to be over 80%, I believe. I mean, he won 10 games in five straight years, never been done at Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman, meanwhile, is, I mean, he takes this team on the road, Darren, and every single time. It's part of the reason why I picked Clemson to win last week. Dabo Sweeney at home, Marcus Freeman on the road. He takes his team on the road, and I think dysfunctional is a very good word for it. It Go back to Louisville, dysfunctional. This Clemson game, dysfunctional. 57 and a half minutes of Duke, highly dysfunctional. I mean, 14 points is all they had in that game. I don't trust this coaching regime yet. And again, I can get there with it, but man, it it hasn't been the best two years for Marcus Freeman considering what he was taking over. And I get it. Recruiting had dipped. Like sometimes coaches know when to get out. I think Brian Kelly knew when to get out. Things had gone a little stale. Maybe. Yeah. And the money <laughs> they're paying him a lot. They're they're paying him a lot to go six and three down there, Darren. That's a, that's a three loss football tier too. too Tyler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, they're a three loss football team too. We can't remember that. I'm not here. I'm not trying to talk up Brian Kelly. But I do know that Brian Kelly probably would not have gone eight and four last year, even with Drew Pine and even with Tyler Buckner. I think that's a 10 win football team with Brian Kelly as the head coach last year. They beat Marshall and they beat Stanford, right? Right. No doubt about it. And this, and this year, Darren puts you on the spot. Like I have the last couple of times we've done the show. What's Notre Dame's record right now. If Brian Kelly is the head coach here. It might not be nine and one, but I think it'd at least be eight and two. Like they they probably beat Louisville, right? I think they, they would definitely have been more prepared to have a chance to win that football game. I think they mm-hmm. Ohio State game. I, I asked you before, Tommy Reese is the offensive coordinator for the Ohio State game. Do they win? I guarantee you they would not have taken Audric Estime off the field for that final drive. I mean, think about it. Yeah. Two of the most crucial moments of the season, Tyler. Crucial. 
Ohio State, you have a chance to close them out. Audric gets a carry, picks up a first down. We don't see him again. He's on the sideline jumping up and down. He wants to go in, can't go in. And against Clemson, when you run it so well in the first half, and after Xavier Watts interception to the two-yard line, Audra gets the ball, touchdown. After that, Tyler, he had two carries the rest of the second half with the passing game struggling, and you're only down one score. Tyler, there's no reason to panic and abandon the rushing attack, even with the field position. Tyler, there was plenty of time to win the football game. So you think about crucial moments of the season, Audric Estime was not a factor. And this is a guy in NFL circles, according to Mel Kuyper, the number two running back in the NFL draft. And you're not relying on him. It just seems awkward. He had his stuff, too, against Clemson, Darren. He hurdled two guys, one of them being his own, Joe Alt, who's a big guy. And then he hurt a little Clemson defender on, on his second or third carry of the game. He had his stuff. Like, he was, go- he was going to have a big game. And if you're watching the YouTube, as opposed to listening uh, on Apple or Spotify or whatever, you're seeing this tweet that I'm putting up that I posted on Sunday. I said, Notre Dame running back Audric Estime had 14 carries for 82 yards in the first half versus Clemson. He had three carries for five yards in the second half. And this is my own commentary. I get – the Irish were playing catch up a little bit. I mean, it was an 18 point game at one point, but that was in the first half. It was 24 seconds after Aldrick scored. Yeah. It, it was it was an eight point game for almost all of the second half. So I said there are chances to run him only down a score in the second half, and Notre Dame didn't do it. That you can't have that. That right there, here's a little teaser uh, for some bi week content at blueandgold.com. I'm breaking down pro football focus, who the top players for Notre Dame are on offense, defense, special teams. I'm going to release one of those articles throughout the rest of the week. Who's Notre Dame's top graded player on offense for the entire season? It's Audric Estime. And he had three carries for five yards in the second half of that game. One, as I told you on your show last night, Darren, or two nights ago, whenever it was, the days are running together. One of those wasn't even a planned carry. It was Xavier Watts takes the ball away as he has done. Shout out Xavier Watts for leading the NCAA in interceptions this season. But he gets an interception, takes it down to the two, and then you're like, okay, Audric, put your helmet on and go run it in. And by the way, he did because that's what he does. He's a successful football player, and Notre Dame refused to use him in a game that you weren't having success throwing the ball. So, like, if you thought that the only way that you were going to get back in and maybe tie the game – was to throw the ball, it became very clear that that wasn't going to be the case. So Marcus Freeman says that this is a run-first trenches program, <laughs> and you leave the guy that most embodies that as a skill position player without the football in his hands. Inexplicable. You, can't, you cannot defend that. I'm going to take this question a different direction for just a second. And again, we're talking about is 9-3 a failure for Notre Dame in 2023. I'm going to defend Marcus Freeman from two standpoints. And I think these two things put him in a very difficult spot. Number one, you've heard me say this on my show. I was not a fan of going to Dublin. It's great for the university. It's great for academics. I'm not on an academic podcast. I'm on a football podcast. 
And I don't believe it is in the best interest of any team to go overseas, in particular to start a season in the beginning of an eight-game stretch of football. I do believe it's a lot to ask. Does Nick Saban and Kirby Smart take their teams overseas? And don't tell me. It's a great experience for the kids. Do you realize how much time the players get outside of football? This isn't a vacation. This isn't Clark Griswold going to Europe. They are focused on a business trip. Hey, I was – I told you how tired I was going out there, and I didn't play a football game. Like, that was a lot for these guys. I totally agree. You have to do whatever you can in all aspects to put your young men who give their bodies 365 days for this program the best position to succeed not only that day but for the rest of the season in reaching their ultimate goal. And I don't believe that is in the best interest of the football team. If you have a buy afterwards, still not a big fan, but that helps. The second thing I think Marcus Freeman was put in a very difficult spot. We've had this conversation before, and I'll bring it up again. I do not believe he got his number one choice for offensive coordinator. Something happened along the way. We probably will never know the true story. I hear this and that. Not going to talk about rumors. But you just don't bring a candidate to town and take him to a hockey game in public, and that's not your guy. And Tyler, Marcus Freeman's the head coach of this organization. I mean, it's an organization. It's almost like a pro football team. And he should be able to get the guy he wanted. Was it money? Gosh, I don't know. Did Ludwig change his mind? That's what he said. But I don't believe Marcus Freeman got his top choice. Did he have to settle and go to the bargain bin? Again, we'll never know. But they brought on a guy with very limited experience to team up with a second-year head coach. And I think that's a dangerous combination, especially when the head coach is defensive-minded. So I will defend Marcus in those two areas. I don't think that helped his cause. Yeah, I mean, the Ireland thing is interesting. It's so far removed that I haven't really thought about it. But if I put myself back in that time and place and, you know, four weeks later, Notre Dame's playing Ohio State and I'm thinking, man, Notre Dame hasn't had a break since the end of August. They played every single week. Yeah, the the big thing for me was not having a bye week after that because I get it. It's Tennessee State. It's an FCS opponent. But a game week is a heck of a lot different than no game at all. Like these guys this week are thinking they're lucky stars that they don't have to play a football game this week. You practice three times. I get it. But Friday, you're not doing a dang thing. Saturday? I mean, you ask most of these guys, and I don't know if they'll travel, go back home, whatever. Wherever they go, they're putting their feet up and they're saying, I am not putting these things on the ground unless I absolutely have to. What did Notre Dame do instead? They, they, they played an actual football game. They played 60 minutes of football against a lesser opponent. I get it. They needed that dang bye week right then. Yeah, I mean, this has felt so weird. We're on another bye week, Darren, and we just had one. Like The, the, the schedule is messed up. It, it was not a schedule set up for success for Notre Dame. And then, yeah, the offensive coordinator thing. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, Mark uh, Jared Parker wasn't even Marcus Freeman's second option. It was Colin Klein from Kansas State, right? I mean, those reports are out there. That they were, those were founded reports that 
Freeman wanted Andy Ludwig, Ludwig and Freeman wanted Colin Klein. I think Colin Klein just said, nah, I'm not, I'm not going there, which let's get to the bottom of that. Why is that? Maybe he saw some things like this coming. I don't know. Kansas State's also a three-loss football team, too, for that matter. But Utah hasn't had a very good season. But, I mean, I think Notre Dame would be better if either one of those guys said, yes, we're given the money, whatever it is. And I go back to it, Darren. Jared Parker was sitting with Andy Ludwig at that hockey game thinking, hey, I get to help this guy out, man. I get to coach my tight ends. Mitchell Mitchell Evans is going to be a beast. I got Cooper Flanagan coming up. Eli Raritan's going to get healthy. Holden stays is a heck of a guy. It's going to be great. Two weeks later, Marcus Freeman says, hey, no, actually, you're going to – you're going to be the offensive coordinator. Life comes at you fast. And I, I try to put myself in Jared Parker's shoes throughout the year. Like it's had to have been stressful as heck for him all year because he knew if Notre Dame got into the season and stuff like this was happening where the offense just looks totally inept at times, he's the guy that people are looking at. And guess what? It's happened. It's happening right now. And this could be the quickest experiments at no at offensive coordinator that, that Notre Dame's ever had. I mean, there's probably been other one year offensive coordinators. I get it, but I mean, this is in and out. This is, Hey, in February, you're the guy. And we could be looking at Darren and I'm going to save most of this conversation for later. Cause we're going to have it. We could be looking at a, a nine month deal here where before December, Marcus Freeman moves off of Jared Park. I would not be shocked if, if that's the conclusion that he comes to that he's not the guy and everybody else that watches Notre Dame football is already there. He's got to make that call. I think before the bowl game, because before the bowl game also means before early signing day. So you got to tell these recruits, Hey, we're going in this direction. If he moves off of Jared Parker, I think it happens sooner than later. Our goal is to be objective, but for a moment, let's take off our media caps for a second. And we're Irish fans like Colin Mahan and DC Irish 1213 and Richard S and all the people that are listening to us talk Notre Dame football and, this time. And Freedom and Freedom Hawk, by the way, Darren, we got to get to a super chat after this. Freedom Hawk okay. is another one of those. But okay. Yeah. yeah, you go go ahead. Let's let's do the hypothetical. We're one of them. Wouldn't you be disappointed that when the Irish take the field against Wake Forest, that there is not someone else calling the plays or heavily involved? and everything done offensively that week. You have a bye week this week. You have two guys on your staff who have prior experience. And based on what I saw against Clemson and what we have seen throughout the year, as fans, and we're not media members, we're fans, wouldn't you be, I'll say it, pissed off if there isn't something done before Wake Forest? Because you got two weeks to experiment. Because Pop-Tarts Bowl, ReliQuest Bowl, whatever bowl you want to talk about, Okay, great, but that's not what we're looking for. Yeah, no, it's there unless you're Alabama, Georgia, the Clemson machine that was for a good five year span there, every single college football team runs into a point of the season or points of the season where you think change is necessary to to what does Marcus Freeman keep saying? we got to reach the fullest potential of ourselves. We've got to reach our full potential. That's what we're striving for. Perfection doesn't exist. It's full potential. It's becoming clearer and clearer that full potential is not going to be reached with 
whatever is going on offensively right now. And that starts at the top. That's Jared Parker. So heck yeah, to answer your question, Darren, I think people know that I went to the University of Texas. So in my 15, 20 years rooting for Texas before I became a professional, started covering Mississippi State, started covering Notre Dame for the last three seasons, especially after 2010, you know, once Texas wasn't Texas and still not back, by the way, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, there, there were points in, in every single season where I said the offensive coordinator needs to go. He's not it. The defensive coordinator is awful. Get him out of here. And usually the fans are a couple steps ahead of the head coach because the head coach, he hired the guy. He wants to hang on. He wants to hang on. He can't do it. He's got to save optics, perception. You know, he's he's got to ride the wave. Fans are always two steps ahead. And most of the time when the, when the consensus is this collective, the fans are usually right. So I'm looking at you, Freedom Hawk, Corey Dean, Smartin009, whatever your name is, Carberry Q. You guys are all probably right that Jared Parker is not the guy. And you're probably two steps ahead of Marcus Freeman. I think it happens sooner than later. So yeah, I mean, Darren, I think the fan base would breathe a sigh of relief, even in this seven and three, Bradley Quinn there calling it potentially a failure. If on Monday before Wake Forest, Marcus Freeman says, we looked at all options for this offense. We're going to go about it a little bit differently. Gino Gadouli is going to be more involved. Maybe even Joe Rudolph, like Chancey Stuckey has some ideas. If he comes in and says, yeah, it's all hands on deck. We're not going to pin this all on Parker. We're not going to ask him to to call this offense. Jared Parker, I think, has been mostly been calling most of these shots. And that's just the way that Notre Dame set it up this season. I think Marcus Freeman comes in and he says, yeah, we're going to we're going to take a different approach these last two games. I think that would be music to Notre Dame's fans' ears because what is the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results? You can't do that if you're Notre Dame. At least try. Like these are the opponents that you can try something else against. You probably beat them both. I don't, I don't know. Notre Dame's good at home. The defense really shows up at home. I think you beat Wake Forest. And I'm not buying this, oh, look at Stanford, they're playing people close thing. It's still a 3 and 6 team. You should not lose to Stanford two years in a row. Stanford got theirs last year. You're probably not going to get them again, get Notre Dame again. So, yeah, this is the time, Darren. This is the time to, to do something else, especially if you think Jared Parker's not going to be here in a month. If he's not the guy, why would you let him be the guy for the final two games of the regular season? You shouldn't do that. That'd be dumb. Yeah. Execution wasn't good in that game against Clemson. Sam Hartman missed some open guys, missed some throws. It's not all play calling, but we hear that it's the execution every Monday. So I feel like we have to fill in the cracks. And as you bring up the super chat, let me just say growing up an hour and a half from Champagne, what's a nine and three season like? <laughs> I'm not familiar yeah. with nine and three growing up over there. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that would take nine and three, but <laughs> Notre Dame, I mean, in certain situations, Notre Dame is one of those teams. But you had Sam Hartman. You have all this optimism with Marcus Freeman. Uh, I know I picked nine and three, but it was almost it was almost like me picking nine and three, and just in the hopes that Notre Dame was going to prove me wrong. Didn't happen. And, and all this talk about nine and three, like I said, you should beat Wake Forest, you should beat Stanford, but they're not nine and three yet. So there is a little bit of holding your breath, even I think. But 
yeah, shout out to Freedom Hawk for a $10 super chat, $9.99. Do y'all agree we need 10 to 12 five stars on the roster at all times in conjunction with our loaded four stars? We could compete for natties consistently. We need to fill up talent top of the funnel. Yeah, I mean that that's the blue chip thing, right? And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but what do they always say about the blue chip ratio? It has to be a certain percentage for you to win the national title. Like teams below this blue chip ratio don't don't win the national title. TCU was below it, and they lost sixty-five to seven or whatever it was to Georgia. Like that was the blue chip blue chip ratio on display in a national title game. And blue chip ratio is four and five stars. But Darren, the more five stars you have, the more football games you win. It's 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 it's, it's kind of common sense. Except at Texas A&M. Yeah. And that guy's about to lose his job. Not the offensive coordinator, the head coach. Yeah, but his buyout's pretty good. Oh, yeah. He's he's not going to bat an eye. We have uh, another super chat here from Andrew Gilmore. Can I comment real quick or on not. that? Just really fast. Yeah, yeah. Go really ahead. Go ahead. Comment. An old Notre Dame coach, and I wish I had the exact percentage, but we got into a conversation one day. If I handed him the top 100 players in the country, how many could Notre Dame – get into school and, and possibly get. And I thought the number, if I remember right, was around 30%. So 70% are crossed off even before we start recruiting. So I think it's unrealistic. I hope that all these five stars are magic going to come to town. Let's please remember it takes two to tango. And let's please remember as awesome of an education and opportunity you get at Notre Dame, not everybody wants it. Not everybody is a fit here. So I think you have to be careful in saying, let's get all these great players. Again, they got to want to come here. And Notre Dame gets their fair share of great players, but there's a lot of kids that don't want to come here. And that's fine. They're yeah. probably not going to survive anyway. So I just think Notre Dame does a good job of, through the years, developing talent. I mean, Benjamin Morrison wasn't a five-star. Joe Alt wasn't a five-star. I mean, he was a tight end. That probably was a big reason why. So Notre Dame, this coaching staff's done a good job of bringing in talent that's not at the top of the chain. But, again, I just I just think we have to be careful. We always get into this talent thing, and it's just not that simple that Notre Dame's going to have the most awesome recruiting class with 10 five-stars. It's just very difficult to do that here. Yeah, that's a Mike Singer conversation. I I couldn't even tell you how many five stars there are currently on the Notre Dame roster. 10 to 12 seems like too many. It's probably, it's probably not. It's probably not 10 to 12, but yeah, you can win like, like a top 10 recruiting class. If, if you sign the ninth best recruiting class in the country, that probably only has one or two five stars. So then you multiply that out. Say it has one five star. And then every other year you get two. You're looking at six, five stars. I think a team with six five-star players on the roster can win a national title if, like that comment said, the roster is loaded with a bunch of highly ranked four stars as well. That's that's blue chip. I mean, that's four and five stars. They don't all have to be five stars. I don't get into the star system, so I don't keep track of how many <laughs> they have. But I was just going through the starting lineup in my head and – Who's the five-star from the starting lineup? Um, Blake Fisher, maybe? Maybe? Blake Fisher? Yeah, he might have been. 
he he's the only uh, one that comes to mind. I mean, nobody on the yeah. defensive line, nobody in the linebacking no. core. Hart nobody in the secondary person. either. No. So, I mean, how many are we actually talking about? So, yeah, does anyway. Notre Dame only have like one or two? Was J- was Jalen Snead a, a five-star? I know he's not starting, but I think some recruiting was highly ranked. Out. I know that. Highly, highly ranked. Yeah. So two years in the program. Yeah, I guess if you're Notre Dame, you can only hope to sign like one five-star per class. So 10 to 12, you're asking for way too many. This is not Alabama. This is not Georgia. Well, you think about it, Keon Keeley would have been a five-star. Yeah. Then the kid who went to oh, Oklahoma there's... safety, wasn't he a five-star? Peyton Bowen, yeah. So there's two that – There's near misses. But that but that goes back to your point, Darren, that this is Notre Dame, and those kids ultimately don't go to Notre Dame for whatever reason. So uh, you can get a whole bunch of highly ranked uh, four-stars, though. C.J. Carr, I think technically Deuce Knight. Is a highly ranked four star. I don't think he's is he a five star. He's a highly ranked four star. So if you load your entire recruiting class with those guys, which I think is Marcus Freeman's approach, you can compete for a national championship. Uh, Andrew Gilmore, four ninety nine super chat, agreed to move on from Parker, but Coach Marcus Freeman needs to answer for getting pushed around on the road. I talked about this a little bit earlier, Darren. That there's no confidence there. Power running, defense first team cannot get pushed around. Yeah, and you have to put your best players on the field too is what we talked about on the road, right? Like, Audrey Gassamay needs to get the ball. Those defensive backs need to be in there for a crucial – I get it. It's a, it's a, it's the first half, but that was a crucial possession. It's 10-6. to 6. Clemson's driving. Clemson has a tight end get hurt. Xavier Watts smacks him right in the ribs. I thought he might have cracked ribs. Maybe it was just a wind knocked out of him. There was a literal injury timeout where they go to, t- I think it was a commercial break and you come back and this was in the middle of the Clemson drive. Like the tight end caught a first down pass and they get into Notre Dame territory. Even at that point, Darren, the Notre Dame coaches didn't think uh, maybe we put Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart back up, out there or even Thomas Harper, by the way, on the touchdown, Tyler Brown, who did he shut a tackle from to walk into the end zone? Clarence Lewis. You think if Thomas Harper was out there, he would have brought him to the ground and Notre Dame lives to see another down. Thomas Harper is one of the best tacklers that Notre Dame has. That's why he plays so much nickel. He wasn't on the field. And then that's 17 to six and 17 to six turns into 24 to six because Sam Hartman throws a pick six, I think on the very next possession or it was shortly thereafter. That's mind numbing. That sequence. That's when I turned to my colleague, Jack Sobel. And I said, Remember when I picked Clemson to win this game because I think some stupid crap is going to happen and and just the snowball is going to tumble? That's when it started tumbling for me. You look well, flabbergasted. You look you look like you're out of words. So maybe yeah, we <laughs> I said to I said this to you on my show Monday that as a Bronco fan, if Patrick Sertan leaves the field for three plays, I'm throwing a fit. Yeah. I mean, you rotate defensive linemen, but taking out uh, – why couldn't you substitute one and not the other? Why would you have to take both off the field at the same time? And, again, I understand they have confidence yeah. in their their reserves, but is that a possibility? You could just take one off and then rotate them if they actually needed rest? Yeah, this uh, Darren, this isn't our, our favorite sport. I think it's your favorite sport. My favorite sport's hockey. You don't have to change every single guy at once. And even in hockey, if you're changing on the fly, it's not wholesale. That guy comes out for that guy. You know, you hop over. 
This was a wholesale secondary change. Hart for Mickey, Gray, Morrison, Lewis, Harper. Like they, it was, it was just, hey, we're gonna give you this series off in the first quarter. I get it. Morrison and Hart were, were a little banged up, but I mean they they played pretty much the rest of the game thereafter. Why that series? And it 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 bit them, man. It was it was a one touchdown game, and that possession was huge. And if we ask the question, we're just going to get we believe in our number two. So yeah, there's not going to be an answer. Okay. Yeah, I was actually I was talking to a colleague about that situation. Last thing I'll say about it, and um, he said it was it was high on the list of questions that he wanted to ask after the game, and then so much happened thereafter that it was like, yeah, you, we'll save that one. Maybe that'll be a Monday press conference for Monday before Wake Forest, but it, it it was worth asking about. I I couldn't believe it. Also lost in the shuffle. I feel like this is a big deal. Maybe other people don't. I'll see what you think, but Irish are down eight in the fourth quarter, two and a half to go. The Irish are huddling deep in their own territory. Yeah. Shouldn't there be a sense of urgency? Shouldn't they be in hurry up? And shouldn't that be the head coach saying, guys, we got to go, we got to go, where to go? Because the offensive coordinator doesn't make the decision – Let's pick up the pace. That's yeah. the head coach making a game. It's all decision. on the headset. Yeah. And don't you it's, agree? It's everyone's it was a weird to be that timid, knowing that the passing game has been an issue the entire day, not to have more of a surge, a sense of urgency with under 230 to play. It, you can't put out that video after the Duke game where you're oh. basic where you're basically bragging about how everyone's on the headset and like, look at us. We pulled this off. Okay. You're showing the world how many people are on this dang headset. There had to be, and look, look at the correlations here, Darren. There had to be somebody that Chancey Stuckey, I don't care who it is, a, a GA that tells Marcus Freeman or Jared Parker, like, Hey, shouldn't we be going a little faster here? Time's ticking on this thing. Nobody said anything clearly, or maybe someone did and they just didn't do anything. And that goes back to, Ohio State, Darren. Everybody's on the headset. Ten men on the field, two plays in a row. This this is a broken operation, and I'm gonna shout out Andrew Gilmore again here. Uh, he's talking about the offensive line play at home versus on the road. He says that's coaching. I totally agree. When this team goes on the road, it is a flawed operation, and and that's coaching, man. That that's Marcus Freeman learning on the fly, but. He was supposed to surround himself with people to help him and to help the overall operation on the road, and it hasn't happened. And that's frustrating. That's really frustrating because you can get out of some of these bad situations if someone just says, hey, this is what we need to do, and, and clearly there hasn't been enough of that. I would really like to know, based on that situation and not going fast, does this team work on game situations that often in practice? Because – there is a time outside of a two-minute drill where you work on going fast and maneuvering the clock, working down the field. To not play with more pace there just seems dysfunctional. And, again, another yeah. little thing that gets lost in a big picture of, of chaos. Yep. And, again, fourth and 15 against Louisville with 10 to go down two scores. <laughs> Is anybody on the headset saying this is a terrible idea? Yeah. What was there? Ten minutes left, right? Ten minutes is what you like around ten minutes or more. Like or, well, okay. 
I mean, calling the timeout with 58 seconds to go in the first half of Louisville facing third and what, 15, you're calling timeout, which is going to give Louisville more time to get the ball, and they're keeping their timeout. So fortunately, they missed the field goal, but keeping those two timeouts really helped them get down the field. So it's just how much communication on the headset, and can anybody say this is not a good idea? Yeah. I don't know. I'm speechless. I'm How about speechless. I go to the next one? Because we're we're already 43 minutes in. We're one question down. Oh, All yeah. right. Do you want to do your Barb Stevenson ad really quick? Yeah. And then we'll get to the last Let, Why don't we do that? Take a break. Let's show some people's some some happy stuff here. Some good looking artwork from Barb Stevenson. If you're looking for that perfect holiday gift for the Notre Dame fan in your life or even for yourself, Barb Stevenson Art is your premier destination for stunning pen and ink limited edition prints of the University of Notre Dame. If you're watching YouTube, I'm showing you some artwork here. It's stunning. It's fantastic. South Bend's own award-winning artist, Barb Stevenson, skillfully captures the essence and beauty of Notre Dame's campus through her intricate pen and ink prints which she meticulously enhances with hand-painted metallic gold accents, making each print unique and one-of-a-kind. And now she has added two magnificent works of, to her fabulous collection of limited edition prints, all of which she is offering to our listeners here at Blue and Gold. To purchase or view her art, visit her website at Barb Stevenson. That's Stevenson with P-H, so B-A-R-B-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N.com or call her at 574 574- Two one zero eight three eight eight, and the deal that we are offering to you guys for watching this show, if you order for the holidays, which are absolutely coming up, free shipping anywhere in the continental United States. I'll show you guys a few more of these if I navigate here. I mean, this stuff is is all so beautiful: Golden Dome, Basilica, Touchdown Jesus, the Grotto. She is absolutely magnificent at what she does. There's probably some Notre Dame fans listening to this wishing that um, Sam Hartman has been a little better at what he does, Jared Parker a little better at what he does. But, yeah, that's what we're here to talk to you about. And uh, I'm going to I'm gonna get another super chat out of the way, Darren, yeah. from Colin Mahan, $10. Appreciate it, Colin. And he's going after Sam Hartman here, which is, you know, when you're losing, it's the head coach, it's the quarterback. I get it. He says a six-year quarterback that can't read defenses, second-year head coach, brand-new offensive coordinator, lack of speed and depth at all skill positions, all adds up to struggles we are frustrated with. There's a lot to fix. Uh, Darren, I think I totally agree with him. I mean, that little rant that we just went on, that little spiel before the Barb Stevenson ad, that's just the coaching part of this. There's also a quarterback element. Um, we touched on the recruiting a little bit. You can't get the guys that are running all over the place in the SEC to come here. You can't get all of those guys to come here. So, yeah, there, there, there's a lot to this. I mean, you, you don't go seven and three at Notre Dame and just have one tiny issue. I think there's a lot at play here. So why don't we just kind of morph into the next question on Hey Horka, Tyler. We've got Aerofan624. Is there anything short of firing Jared Parker that can improve the Notre Dame offense in 2024? So we're looking ahead to next year. And I think that's that's the answer right there, that the fact that 
he's looking ahead to 24. I think we're all looking ahead to 24. No, I, I think it's – I, way back in March in spring ball, and even before spring ball, as soon as Jared Parker was hired, I said, this is a one-year audition because Marcus Freeman cannot afford to give someone who doesn't show that he has it at this job two years. You can only give him one year. If it works, okay, we'll go to two. It hasn't worked. And this – and if. If I'm sticking to what I said back in March, and I am, I think this is probably it for, for Jared Parker. This is Marcus Freeman's future at stake. I mean, I get it. Jared Parker's his buddy. They coach together at Purdue, but Marcus Freeman's not at Purdue anymore. This is Notre Dame, and Notre Dame should have an offense that can score a game-tying touchdown against a 4-4 four and four Clemson team, even on the road. Saturday, they didn't have that. And I think maybe with a different offensive coordinator, they do. And with a different offensive coordinator, maybe you beat Ohio State. Maybe you come up with one more touchdown against Ohio State. And Sam Hartman not playing well has had a lot to do with it. Is that the third question that we have? Yeah, I think we're going to talk about Sam Hartman third. So so we can kind of not spend too much time on this because the, I just gave you my answer. I think it was a one-year audition, and I – had my concerns that Jared Parker was ready for a role like this. And I, I think he's showing us that maybe this wasn't for him. Remember last Monday, Marcus Freeman's press conference before Clemson, Tyler, you were there. I was anchoring the press conference at WSBT radio. And he was asked about taking shots on offense, getting the ball down the field. I'm paraphrasing. So if I misspeak a little bit, jump in and correct me. But basically, Marcus said, we need to take shots. Even if they are not successful, we need to take shots. That was the Monday before the Clemson game, a game in which, and I'll give Irish Sports Daily credit for doing the research, Notre Dame ran two play-action passes in 36 dropbacks in a game in which they were running the football extremely well in the first half. So here's my question. Number one, Tyler, was Marcus Freeman just telling us that to make the fans happy? Number two, is there miscommunication or a lack of the message getting through to the offensive coordinator? Because if the head coach just told us on Monday before the game, we have to take shots. Even if we don't hit them, Tyler, we have to take shots. And you know what? When you're running well, Play action can be killer, even with Notre Dame struggling at times to be consistent, getting the ball into the hands of the wide receivers or them making the catch. Is there a disconnect in the message of what Marcus Freeman wants? Was it the offensive coordinator hearing it and not going along with it? You see what I'm saying? There just seems to be something lost in translation. Now, maybe Marcus was just telling us that just to, you know, sell newspapers and sell Internet subscriptions, which I don't think is the case. So why was something that the head coach wanted not done in the game? I don't know if it's a disconnect as much as it is Jared Parker getting into that booth and freezing. Freezing is a good word for it. Not having the ability to do what needs to be done. I mean, that's 
that's what this is, right? Like you could either do, I mean, you can either do the right things or you can do the wrong things when you're up there. And I'm not saying Jared Parker has been all bad, but no, there's definitely been more bad than good, right? Has there been more bad than good? I think so in terms of scheme and play calling and the second two half play of action passes. Two play action passes is there. He called more play action passes for Steve Angeli in the fourth quarter of the pit game than he called for Sam Hartman in the entirety of the Clemson game. Does that make any sense? No, sir. And by the way, I don't know. I do remember vividly one of the two play action passes. It was a great little read to Holton Stays. Put him up, put it on the money, move the chains, might have gained like 20 yards. Successful play. You can't do that every down. You could probably could have done it two, three, four more times in that game. Didn't do it. One of the comments a second ago mentioned this, and I actually brought this up on my radio show tonight because we were talking about things you'd like to see before the Wake Forest game. And I'll be honest, I said Sam Hartman's my starting quarterback. Gino Gadulli is calling my plays. I would like to see a little bit more of running back duos come back. We saw that for a short time. Audric Estime was not a part of that. I'd like to see him a part of that, but I think it would bring a little more diversity to the run game. And I'd like to see more play action passes. And one of our commenters mentioned they'd like to see more of the dual running back sets once again, which mm-hmm. was successful. And, you know, they used that late in the Ohio State game instead of Estime. I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of that. But I do think it would help with the predictability of the offense. And I had someone in the industry give me a stat, and I have no way of validating this is accurate or not. So maybe take this with a grain of salt. But someone whose job is to analyze football they told me that in their work Notre Dame with two tight ends on the field with both tight ends in line they run the ball 93 percent of the time if that is accurate do you think the opposition knows that is that for this season alone yes now again I have no way of saying that's right or wrong but I trust this individual the information given to me so again if true man the other team sure figures that out and here's another example of that from Patrick Fraz. I hope I'm saying that right. That's here's the a question, first. Tyler. Why don't we use two backs? A single back alignment is pretty easy to defend. Notre Dame does use two backs sometimes, but it always seems to be Jeremiah Love, Devin Ford, or Jadarian Price. I don't know if he's ever on the field with Jeremiah Love, but you know Devin Ford always seems to be that second back. Audric Estime, I, I would love to know the numbers on this. He seems to be the only back out there every single time he's out there. Uh, when it's Audric Estime, he's out there. The defense knows. I don't, you know, there's a there's a very high percentage chance that this ball's going to him. And then here's another stat that I saw. I wish I had the sourcing to credit it, but I think it was uh, 12 of 14, somewhere in that range. Notre Dame running on first down against Clemson. It was 13 to the first 15. I know that. Okay, so there it is, 13 of 15. 13 of the first 15. <clears throat> what are you doing? Predictability. That that's a there, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that is a major weakness in any offense at any level of football. If the defense knows what's coming, the defense is gonna stop it. Ask uh 
Mr. Stallions. Michigan. Yeah. Ask Connor Stallions. <laughs> That's the whole point of him doing what he was doing is to know what's coming. And that's illegal. I get it. But there are ways to trick defenses within the confines of games. And that is changing things up, having a good game plan, a good script, a good scheme. I don't see that with this Notre Dame team. You you don't see it. You don't see it. Yeah. The one thing, and we have discussed this a couple of times on this show, the one thing that would help Jared Parker is – more separation of wide receiver at times. I mean, there were open guys Absolutely. against Clemson. I mean, there were open guys against Clemson that were missed, unfortunately. But consistently, I think there needs more explosiveness at wide receiver. But I do think there's guys, yeah. Oh, yeah. as they continue to develop, Tyler, are going to be very, very good players. You talk about uh, Flores Jr. is intriguing. And I saw this mm-hmm. today, too. But since Jaden Greathouse has gone to the slot, he has not been targeted once, someone posted. Does Pro Football Focus focus that information? Can we go back and check that sometime? But that's really interesting for a guy that early in the year, every time he was targeted, there was a completion. Since transitioning from the slot to, what, the boundary wide receiver, he has not been targeted. I think a little of that has to do with his hamstring. So health health would – is a concern. I mean, Jaden Thomas didn't play again. How about that? Yeah. That's a man down. That, that That's something – when you introduce different wide receivers onto the field, it's something new for opposing defenses to think about. They didn't have to think about Jaden Thomas once. They didn't have to think about Mitchell Evans once. So as much as I've, I've gone hard into the coaching on this episode, I get it. That's the talk of this beat right now, though. You, you can't not talk about it. But you also can't not talk about the personnel and missing Mitchell Evans is huge and missing Jaden Thomas is huge. And you're missing guys from a pass catching core that was already a little limited. And we knew that. So maybe that segues into uh, the next conversation that we're about to have. Huh? And I was going to say before the injuries, there was a lot of penetration in the middle of that Irish offensive line, which makes yep. the quarterback's job hell. Let's, I mean, which leads to our third question from MVJ1120. Who is Sam Hartman? Is he playing as advertised? Were we sold a bill of goods? Yeah, if you were sold a bill of goods, that's pro- probably partly my doing because I went back and watched every single game of Sam Hartman last year at Wake Forest, and I was impressed, and I told you guys that. And that's why I'm I'm so confused. I'm so confused as to the way that this has gone because, Darren, I don't care what you think of Sam Hartman, and obviously you're going to think less of him now because of everything that's happened, but for sure, stats prove it. He was one of the best deep ball throwers in the country in 2022. Why is that nowhere to be found now? I don't think his elbow blew out or he lost – strength in his arm or accuracy touch, whatever it is. I, I, he's still the same exact guy. So how can you explain that to me? This is why I have a hard time really going in on Sam Hartman as much as some other people have, because I mean, he showed it against central Michigan, those deep balls. That's who he is on the money. And it's not, it's not happening against Ohio state, Louisville, 
you know, all of these other teams because it's not there. You can't throw a deep ball if it's not there. That's on the wide receiver. That's on the scheme. That's on everything else. That's that's beyond his control. Now, the pick six against Clemson was terrible. But you knew that you were getting a little bit of that gunslinger-ish. He throws it around. I mean, he had 26 picks in the last two seasons. He's only got seven this year. Why? I think that's partly because he has nothing to throw at. Like, he's not throwing the deep ball because it's not there. You can't yeah, – I'm still a backer of Sam Hartman. I, I I think it was a it wasn't a failed experiment on Sam Hartman, but you definitely didn't get the most out of him that you could, and that's not all on him. I, I get it; he's had his moments where you're just like, "What the heck are you doing, Sam?" But I think this offensive operation is, is flawed for reasons beyond his control. I really enjoy as much as I can tuning in to the Mike Goolsby show on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. And I know from the get-go, he was not a big Hartman supporter. And, you know, he doesn't like to blame the wide receivers. And I and I respect Mike. I mean, he played at Notre Dame. I enjoyed covering him. He was a great quote when he was here. And, and I love to listen to him because he makes me stop and think. And I sometimes rethink what I think about Notre Dame football. Yeah. And, and I know he's – He's really hard on Sam. I haven't gone down that road like Mike has. I mean, I felt like Sam was going to be a big plus for this football team. I still believe he should have been a big impact guy over a 12-game or 13- or 14-game season. But I think a lot of things have worked against him. And I'd love to know what Sam Hartman looks like with Tommy Reese. Now, it's not like Tommy Reese is a 20-year offensive coordinator, but he signed up to play for Tommy Reese in Notre Dame, and obviously that didn't work out. Does he have – well, let me say this. We had this conversation back in spring practice, and I remember having a Wake Forest beat reporter on, and we felt like that Wake Forest wide receivers last year were better than Notre Dame's. And I think that's a common consensus now, Darren. That I, I've talked to some guys on the beat, and yeah, I mean, uh, A.T. Perry, Donovan Green, some of those guys I watched last year, Notre Dame doesn't have that. And I, and I think it's athleticism. I think it's speed. That matters. I think scheme, offensive strategy, I think play calling, I think wide receiver consistency, and I think Boy, it's been up and down along the offensive line. There was pressure coming from the middle a lot Saturday, Tyler, and that yeah, yeah. makes. Well, you're down to your your third string. Uh, you're down to your third string center. Well, and and Pro Football Focus proved what you're saying right now. When I looked at the grades, Pat Coogan, Rocco Spindler did not have good days against Clemson. Oh, so you didn't need to see the stats; you could see it happening. Yeah throughout the day. And, and that's why Sam had all those rushing yards. He, he had to get out of Dodge. So, yeah. So I, I refuse to put all this on Sam. I think there are so many things around him that are working against him. Did he make poor decisions and bad throws Saturday? Absolutely. I am not going to sit here and deny that because the film doesn't lie. Yep. Yep. But this right now is it just feels like the offense is broken we've talked about predictability 
And I, I just, I really feel like that this situation has caused Sam to regress as he played his best. No, but there has been regression due to other things around him. So I listen to Mike. I appreciate Mike. I, I, I just can't go all in that it's Sam is bad and he wasn't worth doing. Yeah. I just think there's a lot of things around him. And if Drew Pine's your quarterback, Tyler Buckner, Steve Angeli, I, I just don't imagine things would be better than they are right now. I don't think they would be seven and three. Yeah. Mike Goolsby needs to tell us what he thinks this would look like with Tyler Buckner as the quarterback in the same exact situation as Sam Hartman, because it would, it would be even worse. And it, when I say even worse, it'd be worse than this. Here's some stats. I'm showing the, uh, the blue and gold YouTube watchers. If you're listening to Apple and Spotify, Sam Hartman in the first five games of the year completed 70.4% of his passes, 14 touchdowns, zero interceptions, 10.7 yards per attempt, four and one record last five games. 56.6%, four touchdowns, seven interceptions, 7.2 yards per attempt, three and two record. And I said the level of competition went up, but there shouldn't be that severe of a dip from a 24-year-old veteran. And when I typed that sentence, I'm not – you can make what you want of it. But it goes back to Darren's point that it's not all on him. There shouldn't be that severe of a dip from a 20-year-old, 24-year-old veteran. Because there shouldn't be this many things going wrong around him to allow for that kind of dip. And some of those errors are on him 100%. But, I mean, th this isn't what he probably thought it was going to be. Uh, he it, let, Let's just put this out there. He didn't sign up to play for Jared Parker. And you don't – he, he kind of said, I, I came to Notre Dame to go to Notre Dame and I wanted to play in a pro-style offense. but. At the time, that pro-style offense was was that of Tommy Reese. It wasn't Jared Parker's offense. And Jared Parker's offense has a lot of Tommy Reese elements, but, hey, Tommy Reese had been doing it for three seasons at that point, offensive coordinator here. And you could say what you want about him, but I, I thought he did a better job than people give him credit for last year with Drew Pine, who I thought Drew Pine was a gamer, but he's yeah, not Sam Hartman. Yeah. No, I – I think I think Tommy Reese would have gotten more out of Sam Hartman this season than Jared Parker has. You watch the game from the press box, and gosh, Tyler, it feels like Faison is as explosive as any skill position player on the football team, and that's a problem. That's a guy that should not be contributing. Honestly, if if you're at Notre Dame and you're getting all these alleged how many star wide receivers. It, it, again, it just, it just, the whole thing feels strange. It feels awkward. And I mean, it's hard to argue that Faison shouldn't be out there a lot and, and Tyree shouldn't be out there. It's, they give you as good a chance as anybody. I mean, you look at the stats and Audric Estime was the top receiver for Notre Dame against Clemson. Yeah. Now, Clemson's pass defensive defense was 12, and they put pressure up the middle. So I want to give them credit. It's not all Notre Dame just stinking. Clemson caused a lot of problems defensively, and we talked that they could steal this game or help steal this game. And, you know, they played very well, but 
it also feels like Notre Dame was very helpful in Clemson playing an outstanding football game defensively. Starting two freshman corners, though, was it, I think? Like, that is a little bit of a concern if you're Notre Dame. You couldn't beat those guys. And, and Clemson gets good players, but they were there for the taking. Like, that's that's the Clemson team you beat, and Notre Dame didn't do it. So It, it just – you watched the Clemson-Wake Forest game last year, and Sam Hartman was the best player on the field. Yeah. yeah. Six touchdowns. It was a better Clemson team. Maybe this year's – Clemson defense is a, a little better. Last year's underperformed. But he threw six touchdown passes on that field. And he should have thrown eight or so because <laughs> when Clemson went cover two, Wake Forest just started running the football inexplicably and took the ball out of Sam's hands or he would have maybe thrown for 600 yards and eight touchdowns. And they end up losing that game. You know, and that's part of the thing. You know, if people want to trash Sam, they can. But just please mm-hmm. explain to me how the same guy – can have an amazing game against Clemson. And then the next year, that's what we see is what we saw on Saturday. It yeah. just it just seems very strange for people to throw all this on Sam. I, I'm just – I can't do it and I won't do it. And I respect for Sam taking responsibility in the postgame. That's a, that's a heck of a captain to do that, but – not everything he said was true, but I appreciate him taking a bullet for the team. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I was sitting front row in the press conference room for that, and I was – respect. I mean, tip of the cap. He owned it, and that's what you want QB1 to do. And that's why maybe – let's finish this video, Darren, with how would you play out the quarterback situation if you're Notre Dame, assuming both guys are healthy and available – for the rest of the year, all three guys, throw Kenny Minchie in, into it as well. Do you want Sam Hartman to start the final three games of the season, Wake Forest, Stanford, bowl game for Notre Dame? Is that your preferred route? I'll answer it this way. If I'm the coaching staff, I know what I have in the quarterback room. And if you believe there is a better quarterback on this team right now that gives you the best chance to win against Wake Forest, start them. If you believe there's a guy that gives you a better chance to win, start them. And another thing from Mike's show, you know, he wasn't overly concerned about that this would be a situation where the team would feel like they're going to throw in the towel if they start and jelly. I do worry about that a little more, but he's been in the locker room, so he, he knows more than us. But I just know in the past that there have been teams that, they pick sides on quarterbacks, and it, it fractures teams in the locker room. Those things do happen. So I'm going to cop out by saying, if I'm the head coach, Hartman starts for me against Wake Forest. As a coach that sees everything that has happened in practice with these quarterbacks throughout the year, if there's a quarterback that gives you a better chance to win and you think he would be their starting quarterback next year, then you know what? pull the trigger and do it. But not knowing all that information, Sam's my quarterback with Gadouli calling the plays. Yeah. I start him for sure against Wake Forest, for sure against Stanford. I'm kind of leaning, and I almost leaned this way last year. I kind of wanted Steve Angeli to play a little bit in the bowl game last year, considering Tyler Buckner's circumstances. And in hindsight, it would have been better for Notre Dame if Steve Angeli played in that bowl game because 
what the heck good use was Tyler Buckner, five touchdowns, three picks, but MVP. And then that's the last time you ever saw him in a Notre Dame uniform. I would have loved for Steve Angeli to play in that football game. We would know so much more about Steve Angeli right now if he played in that game. Kind of why I want him to play in this year's bowl game, to be completely honest. I think you start Sam at Wake Forest, Stanford, and then you say, you know what? We wanted to win a national title. We wanted to get to the college football playoff with you. We didn't. We kind of need to know who we what we got in this guy, and we're going to start him. And it may not be the popular opinion, and I would love for the chat to end this video with their opinion on that, but I think we need to see Steve Angeli. I think he could win a bowl game too. I honestly think he could he could beat an LSU or I don't know who the other teams are predicted to play. But it's a like you said, Darren, earlier, it's the it's the Pop Tarts Bowl, man. We don't need Sam Hartman winning MVP of the Pop Tarts Bowl. Like I think Notre Dame can win that game without Steve Angeli. But here's also something that I'll bring up about, and let's close this video kind of alluding to the people are saying Kenny Minchie. So I I guess there's no love for Steve Angeli only on the Mike Singer show, Mike Singer's a football show. Anyway, go back to 2017 Notre Dame fans. Notre Dame loses two of its last three games. You probably remember well, Miami Stanford. So, so emotions were probably pretty low at the time because you're thinking, Hey, we have everything right in front of us. Let's win. Let's win these games. All of a sudden, Notre Dame's nine and three. And you go into that bowl game, Citrus Bowl against LSU, thinking, eh? But Darren, what were your emotions after Notre Dame beat LSU in the Citrus Bowl? And all of a sudden, Notre Dame has a 10 and three record. That was the year after you go four and eight. You're probably saying 10 wins. I'd take 10 wins, right? Everyone will take 10 wins. I think. If Notre Dame beats Wake Forest, beats Stanford, they're nine and three, whoever they play in a bowl game, I think there's going to be a little optimism. There's going to be a sense of, hey, maybe we can win 10 games. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in, in, in a matter of two weeks, three weeks after Thanksgiving, if Notre Dame's nine and three, I think that bowl game will be maybe even more anticipated than the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State two years ago, because what did that really matter in the end anyway? You know, Notre Dame was still an 11-1 team. This is for 10 wins. And we talk so much about Brian Kelly five years in a row, 10-plus 10, 10 wins. Marcus Freeman could maybe start his own streak this year. I think that game is actually pretty huge, and I think you can actually win it with a Steve Angeli. But that would be my only thing. Like, if Notre Dame goes all in on the 10-win thing and they're like, yeah, we need this. this, this is as big as Tyler Horka is saying it is right now, then you probably start Sam Hartman. You probably get the full 13 game experience of Sam Hartman. But do you agree that in a matter of three weeks, that bowl game, even if it has Pop Tarts next to its name, could actually be fairly significant? And you can sell on recruits. Hey, we have 10 wins. You could say Notre Dame is a 10 win football program. Does that mean anything? You're asking the wrong guy because since the college football playoffs have began, I have been the Anti-bowl games mean anything at all because you could win 56 to nothing and coaches are going to say, oh, that gives me great momentum going into the offseason. But, here, the but here's the thing. Start- In five, year, five years from now, nobody's going to remember the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Everyone's just going to remember whether or not Notre Dame was a 10-win team. And I think that matters. You look back on it and you're looking at the list, you say, oh, Marcus Freeman won 10 games that year. 
Or the alternative is going to be uh, Marcus Freeman went nine and four back to back years. Eh. I mean, that's what this is going to come down to. That game, if Notre Dame beats Wake Forest and beats Stanford, that game is going to be the difference between, hey, we improved this year. We won one more game than last year. Or we stayed stagnant. We won We won just as many games with Sam Hartman as we did with Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner. I don't think that would be very good for optics, perception, and all that. I think that <laughs> game is actually going to mean a little bit, mean something. I think this show's going to go an hour and 30 minutes now after this conversation because – No, no. Because <laughs> I'm just absolutely on the other end of this conversation. The bowl okay. game – if it's not a playoff game, I just don't think it matters in the big picture. I can't tell you the years Brian Kelly won 10 games. I can tell you they played for the championship in Miami in 2012. I can tell you they played in the college football playoffs in 18 and 20. But I'm not going to remember 10 wins. I don't think the recruits are going to look at that because they always look like they're the answer. You know, they can they can be the the solution to the problem. So. I just – I can't put any value into this. If it's LSU, you want to win the game. I mean, from a fan standpoint, you just don't want to lose to Brian Kelly. But, yeah, Tyler, I, I just – I don't believe in momentum off bowl games because so much is going to change. You look, if they win 10 games, this is where I push back and this is where I go back to my earlier comments. I don't care ultimately about the end-of-the-year record. Are they better off than they were the year before? And right now I say yeah. no, they're not. Yeah. They, they could fair. go, they could win 10 games, win the bowl game. And do you really feel like this team was better than last year's or had more hope than last year's? I can't because we spent the whole show talking about lack of execution and dysfunction. We're not in a, as good a place as we were, like I said, in December of 2021. So 10 wins is great. It looks good in the record books, but this team just is not where it needs to be. It is not going in the right direction. And if anyone wants to talk about momentum from a bowl game win, heck, we could have two new coordinators next year. We're going to have a new starting quarterback. We're going to have a new left tackle. We're going to have a new starting running back, on, 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 on. It's going to be a vastly possibly different football team. So I, that's why I push back on really the value of the bowl game. I want to beat LSU. That would be a lot of fun to beat PK. I mean, I respect BK, what he did here. He was the right guy at the right time for this university. And I definitely think Brian Kelly left this program in better shape for Marcus Freeman than what he got when he took over this program. But, yeah, the bowl game, I'm just not big on whoop-de-doo if, if, if they win or lose. It's, it's not going to change my thinking about the next year. Totally fair take. I mean, I, I didn't expect us to agree, agree on everything, but um, I do think you make a good point, though. Like, the opponent matters. If it's LSU, you don't have to sell anyone on, hey, we won the Pop-Tarts Bowl or the ReliQuest Bowl, but you can sell anyone on, hey, we just beat the guy that used to coach us for 12 years. We just beat the team that won a national championship within the last five years. Like, Beating LSU would matter. Winning the Pop Tarts Bowl, getting to ten wins, a little less. But maybe I'm. Just, it's just, it's the nerd in me that sees like ten, ten, ten and three looks a whole lot better than nine and four to me for some reason. Especially considering Notre Dame went nine and four last year. So, but but I think that the overarching point that you make, 
where is the football program? Because you could you could go out there and win a bowl game against a team that's sitting its quarterback or sitting all these players, and it, it doesn't matter at all. You're still the same exact football team. I think I think your point stands in that you're not going to prove anything to me that this if they if they beat LSU, they're not all of a sudden superhuman and destined for the college football playoff in 2024. And I think that's that's the measured take. And that's a good take on your part for sure. If if they put up the same number of yards against LSU that they did against USC and still win the game, are you still going to leave that game like eh? Yeah. Because LSU's defense is boring. Bad. Oh yeah. Probably not as bad as USC. There's no one as bad as USC. I know. But that's boy, why it might be a scary matchup for Notre Dame. I see all these people in the comments saying we want LSU, we want BK. I don't know. I don't know if you do. That's why I'm and saying I, if you if you, if you beat them, it, it would be good for Marcus Freeman to be able to say, "Hey, I beat Brian Kelly. I beat LSU. It's a good football team. It's not a great football team. It's a good football team. Powerhouse offense." Tyler, we all agree this is one of the most historic programs in the country. There are tons of coaches that would love to be a part of this program, but at the right time. I mean, coaches have to be smart. They have to pick their spots when they're going to move. And last year, you mentioned a couple of offensive coordinator candidates for whatever reason. I think Ludwig said publicly he took his name out of consideration. And... Notre Dame ended up with someone on their staff as offensive coordinator. My point is this. You're going into three, year three of Marcus Freeman. The coordinators that might be interested in this offensive coordinator job, if it becomes available, are going to realize the scrutiny and the chaos that took place last year and the expectations of the fan base. Going into year three for Marcus Freeman, is this offensive coordinator job as attractive as it was even last year? Because you're losing some great personnel off this team. Again, please understand, this is a place so many people want to coach, but at the right time. You want to jump on at the right time when things are going up? I mean, where are we right now? We're kind of bumpy right now. So I just wonder, everybody wants an experienced offensive coordinator, but is that type of person going to jump on board at this present time? It could be considered risky. That's probably if we take Andy Ludwig at his word, why he didn't come here. And to answer your other question, if Notre Dame couldn't make Sam Hartman work, why would any OC want to come in and say, I'm going to have to do my best coaching job ever to try to get the most out of any quarterback. That's, that's a little scary. And I mean, let's throw out every hypothetical possible Maybe Notre Dame makes Al Golden associate head coach, gives him a big raise, and he stays. That would be awesome. Also, we have to consider he's probably going to get a lot of job offers. His agent's phone is going to be calling. And if he wants to say, that's awesome, I want him to stay. But there's a possibility he could leave. So can I just build on that? If you have to fill defensive coordinator and if you have to fill offensive coordinator, what's the budget? Are you going to be able to get two veteran coaches in both of those spots? Or you go with a first-year defensive coordinator in Mickens, who everybody's very high on, and then spend maybe a little extra money on getting that offensive coordinator? Do you have to pay a little more knowing the situation right now at Notre Dame? 
I think the budget is a major factor in this whole thing and how many coordinators you actually have to bring in. Yeah, somebody in the chat just brought up why is nobody asking uh, about the athletic director's impact in this? Um, I can't find that. New president coming up, UAD. I mean, yes. Yes, Colin. Colin Mahan is always uh, always live in the chat. We love to see it. But yeah, I mean that that's a factor in this. Um, the timing's a little weird, obviously, because Pete Bavakwa does not take over until I was told March. March is when he's going to be sliding into that role. But man, I, it, this is we said that the offensive coordinator hire last year was Marcus Freeman's biggest hire of his tenure if he moves on from jared parker i mean it's 2.0 it's 2.0 you're right back where you were and the pressure is mounted even more because you just won at best nine games with sam hartman in the regular season on offense so yeah it it could be a very interesting december we tend to have a lot of those here in south bend when it relates to the notre dame football program but um it hasn't happened yet, so maybe we should let these people get on with their nights, go to bed, whatever it is. Notre Dame has not fired its offensive coordinator yet. Maybe it won't. Maybe Sam Hartman puts 60 on the board the next two weeks and all is right in the world. You yeah, can hope. It's <laughs> Wake Forest. You can hope, folks. Yeah. 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 I, Carberry Q made me laugh here. Crazy that Charlie Jr. has more offensive coordinator experience than Parker. <laughs> of yeah. course, talking about Charlie Weiss Jr. who's down yeah. at Ole Miss right now. And Charlie Weiss said, just call him Charlie Weiss. Just call his son Charlie Weiss because he's earned the right to, to lock off the junior there. So, But, yeah, Tommy Reese has more offensive coordinator experience than Jared Parker, too. And he's 31 years old, whatever it is. Credit to Tommy. Alabama's getting better as the season goes on. He's he's figuring out Milrow that's and a, they're looking better. That's coaching. That's that's a, that's coaching. Alabama's yeah. doing this. Notre Dame kind of, yeah. Alabama or Notre Dame is this. So yeah. Okay. Well, three questions took an hour and twenty five minutes. I'm not surprised. We could go a heck of a lot longer, to be honest with you. Hey, we beat the ninety minute mark. So when's our next show? Do we know? We should do one uh, Monday. Let's preview Wake Forest. If you're ready for that. I don't, I don't know. Well, what yeah, because is, Marcus but... Freeman will have spoken before yeah. we go live on Monday. So maybe there will be some type of news that. Some news that we could talk about. Or maybe not. <laughs> you know what? If there's no maybe news. Not. Lot to talk about. If there is news, there's going to be a lot to talk about. So, yeah. no matter what, no matter what. All right. Well, all right. Thanks to our our folks tuning in, man. We greatly appreciate it, and thanks for listening to our opinions and comments. And of course, check out Tyler, all his work at blueandgold.com. If you want to hear more from me, I'm on 9:60 a.m. WSBT in South Bend. You can catch me at wsbtradio.com or the WSBT Radio app. I'm on five to seven Eastern time during the week, and Tyler's on every Monday. So, Tyler, good to be with you. Enjoy the rest of your night. Enjoy the weekend scouring college football for coaches. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we will talk to you next week. All right, absolutely. See you, Darren. All right, see you guys. Go Irish. <laughs>